Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Liz Mellish. Liz has an accomplished business career spanning over 40 years. She's worked in various roles, including banking and electricity, as well as with Tepuni Kokiri, alongside running a successful fish smoking business with her husband and raising her three children. Liz was also heavily involved in the treaty claim for Te Whanganui Atara and led the cultural settlement for the tribes. In more recent years, Liz has held a number of governance roles. She's chair of the Palmerston North Māori Reserve Trust and has been a trustee there since 1994. Liz is also chair of Te Whare Waka which offers the chance to experience Māori culture right in Wellington's CBD. She's also the deputy chair of FOMA, the Federation of Māori Authorities. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Liz and her career today. Morena, Liz, and thank you very much for joining me. It's lovely to talk to you today. Good. The first question I would like to ask you is actually, if you think back to when you were a child or, or even a teenager, what careers did you think about or, or dream about? To be fair, I wanted to be an anthropologist. I was quite enamoured of anthropologists and the work they did in studying people and particularly Indigenous people. And that was where I thought I would base my career. Ah, how interesting. And so what was the journey then to where you did end up in your career, the kind of the the first few roles that you did? It's interesting. I was a child of the 50s, of course, 50s and 60s. And in that time of my life, I left school to go to work to help support my family. And there was still that idea that the men went to university and the siblings, the women, you know, just went to work. So that was what I ended up doing and went to work in the ANZ Bank, actually. And that led me on a quite a different path. I can imagine it's banking is rather different from anthropology from what you originally thought about. Yeah, and going to university, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I guess, you know, how times have changed now when you look at the, the you know, the number of female graduates from university now outnumbers men. So times have, have changed a lot in a fairly, you know, just a few decades, which is interesting to see. What were some of the highlights, but also the challenges of those first few years of your career? One of the things that I was lucky to learn in banking was really how businesses worked. And I guess the best lesson I learned was money management. I was always, as a child, very careful about money. In those times, people weren't particularly wealthy. And most parents were recovering from the Second World War. So I learned pretty early on about money management and That intrigued me because having resources helped families survive. And it came to me that women were the backbone of the family. And actually, you know, I think that's the lesson I learned really early. 
that women actually should manage the money. We were good at it. We knew how to make things work. I came from a large family and, you know, that's helped me all through my life, actually, and that I quite enjoyed understanding about business. And I really like what you say in terms of women and money and, and managing money. It's often the, the sort of, I think there's sometimes the stereotype or the perspective that men are, are the more economic or numerical or, or financially skilled, which of course is not necessarily the case. Women are, are equally as skilled in that as men. But you're right in terms of managing the household budget, which can often be very tight. Actually, women have over the years have had enormous skill in that area. Yeah, fascinating. Well, it was interesting. I had one bank manager who said to me that, Unfortunately, um, men learn how to write checks really quickly and they do that emotionally rather than sensibly. And I've never forgotten it. You know, it was quite a lesson to learn from an older bank manager who said, actually, they're not great at it. How interesting. General statement, of course, but, you know, and I thought, so, yeah, we women have things that we're really skilled at. Definitely. And then, if I'm right, then at some point in that time, you started the fish smoking business with your husband. Well, what happened was I was one of those early brides, married at 19, which when I look back was very young, but we were very happy and we're still together. Before we had the fish smoking business, so we actually bought a milk run, and it's there that I really learnt how to manage business. I was, we had the milk when I learned, I was there at the beginning of GST, understood about bookkeeping and keeping extremely good records, all of those sorts of things. So systems, you know, really worked. And so that was a, a, a very simple business, but a very good grounding for being in business. As we saw things happen in that industry as deregulation happened, we determined that being in business was really good for us. We we quite enjoyed being our own bosses. And my husband was very good at smoking fish and I was the person who did the business stuff. So we bought a building and, you know, took the leap and it went from there from absolutely an idea to taking it through the process of an idea to making it work financially and eventually sold it about 10 years ago. And so really, what a wonderful experience to take that from nothing, as you said, an idea through to actually developing and growing it as a business. What were some of the the lessons you learned along the way in developing, starting and then growing your own business? You've really got to do your homework. You do need a bit of a plan. And that's really the important thing. And there's this some real fundamental stuff. You have a business plan. You understand the margin, you know, and how much you, you know, you have to do your homework with the figures and work out what you need to turn over, what you need to make, and agree your business model. And for us, quality was extremely important, more important even than quantity. And, you know, it's those decisions you have to make. And we determined to get a contract with the company Foodstuffs and Supply Supermarkets, which we did get. And, you know, that was our baseline stuff. And over time, we developed the business to do local sales and so on, retailing. 
and those sorts of things. You certainly have to learn HR skills. And we employed 12 people in the end. Some of them were school kids, of course, who were casuals rather than full-time. But you learn a heck of a lot. And it was that learning, really, that I took into being a business mentor for Tapuni Kōkiri and working with Māori business people or people who, Māori who were wanting to get into business. We're quite good at it, actually. As you know, I discovered there was many ideas and, and lots of exciting amongst our Māori business community. And I found that as well doing this podcast. I've spoken to a number of Māori women and absolutely, you know, who are running their own businesses and that entrepreneurialism, but also that kind of real sense and care for the people around them definitely came through alongside, I think, that strong sort of sense of, of purpose and broader connection to the land or to history. It's come through really strongly for me. Mm, I bet. And tell me, what did you love about that role at Tipuni Kokori as being a business mentor? Oh, look, just meeting people who uh, have ideas, who have enthusiasm and are passionate. And, and one of the things that I was learning, because by then I was a trustee on the Palmerston North Māori Reserve Trust, and what I was learning was the Māori business model is slightly different from the Western model. And why was it different? And it's because the outcomes are different. And because in Māori business, the outcomes, not only economic, they're also social, cultural and environmental. And how do you work that into a business plan? How do you manage that? Because regardless, you have to make money to survive. So it's actually managing all of those almost competing outcomes made it hugely interesting and was really a, a huge learning curve and exciting, you know, interesting every day. And I really like the way you talk about that because, you know, normally people talk about that triple bottom line, people planet profit, whereas you've talked about it as almost that quadruple one, you know, alongside the social, the environmental, the financial, so that cultural side as well. How has that come through in your own work? Well, it's come through particularly strongly. And if we look at the work that I'm doing today, both in, as chairman of Palmerston North, as chairman of Te Raukura, the Whariwaka in Wellington, CBD, and also as deputy chairman of the Federation of Māori Authorities. If we just go to the Palmerston North, we're a trust that operates under the Tūturi Whenua Māori Land Act, of 1993 and so we have many regulations that we have to adhere to including the Māori Land Court who we report to uh, on top of the normal company stuff you know the IRD stuff the things that everybody does in business naturally but we have some extra layers and we also have another act called the Māori Reserve Land Act which is, you know, something that's been somewhat draconian and we've had to to work around and with. And so the challenges are interesting and different from other business people in the country. And I don't think the country realises the hoops we have to skip through to achieve a good outcome and a distribution to our owners. So our economic outcome really is about paying a distribution to our owners and their whānau and so we have been doing that and doing that very well 
and particularly in the last five or six years, as our developments in Palmerston North have improved. One of the interesting things is that we made a really strong decision to move into commercial property. So we manage property. It is based on our Māori land. And, you know, the one of the key things is that we're not that happy about selling our lands. So we have to really be quite creative in thinking about the opportunities that our land provides us to make a return. So it's quite a challenge, but it's a challenge I'm up for absolutely and, you know, love what we do. One of the things that we do with in Palmerston North is we established a retirement village actually 25, 23 years ago in a joint venture with MetLife Care. We have retail shops such as Countdown, Mega Mitre 10, Warehouse Stationery, you know, lots of um, retail businesses. We've just completed a brand new building for an early childhood centre. We're just embarking on four other building projects in that retail area. And in spite of COVID-19, we've managed to hold all of our retail customers we went early, we talked to them, we dropped their rent and their OPEX in half for two months so that they could continue, and it's proven to be a valuable exercise. And I think that's, you know, a good example of almost taking into account the social side, but also having that long-term view, you know, whereas in short-term everybody might be hurting and it might be the sort of, you know, we've got to all tighten our belts, but actually in the long-term by partnering together, you'll both come out better on the other side. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, in that commercial retail world, there's a lot of staff. And so not only are we looking after the owners of the business, we're also by default, looking after the staff as well, making it, you know, as good for the businesses to survive. We understood we were going to take a hit, but we did that, you know, we did the calculations, we did the numbers and said we can afford to do this. And, you know, our owners, when we reported at the annual general meeting, were very positive that we'd done that because the fact that it enabled people to hold on to their jobs and so on. You know, this is it's that cultural social responsibility that we we're serious about. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned there the different chair and deputy chair kind of governance roles that you hold. What was it about governance that appealed to you? A heck of a lot, actually. I have to say, it's become a strength that I have. And it's understanding the rules of governance and stepping away from being operational you know, the process of annual general meetings. So I feel very comfortable talking to our owners and talking about um, our strategies, what's achieving, what's not and, and why not. And I think that's really important to bring people, you know, bring our people on the journey with us. And the feedback from our people is absolutely fantastic. And what it brings with it is, you know, lots of responsibility. But I enjoy the responsibility of being a governor, of considering the opportunities of making good decisions and of including everybody in that decision-making. I think that's really important, is being able to bring first all your trustees along the journey 
and include them in the final decision making always so that they are comfortable when they're meeting whānau to be able to say, yes, we've decided to do this and we agree because of A, B, C, D, E. Yeah, I think I enjoy that a heck of a lot. And I can hear that in your description of it as well, which is great to hear. You know, you said there's lots of parts around your work and in your career along the way that you've really loved, where you've learned a lot. What have been perhaps some of the more toughest career challenges or moments for you? I think probably when I worked for Wired Upper Electricity and I was the southern manager for three retail shops in an, in an electrician workshop, was the, the changes, you know, that were wrought by Rogernomics, basically, and just realising, even though we were financially doing very well and achieving, that regardless of anything, there was a political will to reform electricity in New Zealand and so the opportunities were going to disappear didn't matter how hard we worked that was a bit hard to swallow it didn't make a lot of sense at the time and in hindsight I see it much better and I think once you go into governance it is a political role whether you like it or not because there's a political or a democratic process you must go through to to get into that place So that was a hard lesson to learn and that you absolutely had no control over your life, yourself, which made me pretty determined that I was going to become a contractor and and be in charge of my life. Yes. And I think that's a really interesting one. As you said, that kind of realisation, actually hard work, it mattered less when regulation or politics came in that, that maybe got in the way at the time. And tell me a bit more, you said, you know, working as a contractor, so taking back back a bit more control. What did you enjoy about that? Being able to set my own goals and and being able to develop my own ideas and responses to matters. And so in the 2000s, I went out as a contractor and did a lot of work in the environmental space, I did become a hearings commissioner. I did work a lot of work into local government on behalf of the iwi in the resource management space. So that was really ticking a different sort of box, but I loved it. That was really, really transforming in many ways. I think that sense of control and in some ways that sense of hopefully being able to choose the work where you felt your skills were best used, your strengths, you could use your strengths, but also that you really enjoyed the work too, I'm sure would would have been great. Yep, you've got it. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) Yeah, and we talked briefly about at the very start of today's conversation about women and, and maybe the changing role as well. What have been some of the maybe challenges or obstacles that you've faced as a woman in your career? Oh, I think you hit those obstacles. I remember when I got the role at Wairapa Electricity, it was very surprising and we had the electricians were all male and I wasn't an electrician. That was quite a shock for them. And so, you know, that that was a steep learning curve on how to work with and manage very skilled workers who were pretty unsure of working for a woman. So that, that I found that most challenging, but in a really good way. They were pretty terrific once they realised that 
my role wasn't to tell them how to do their work. They knew how to do that. But how really to advocate for them and lift performance. Yeah, that was an exciting challenge. In the Māori world too, that was quite difficult to start with as it had become quite a, a man's world and I was in governance for the settlement. And some of the, particularly the older men, had a view that we were there to really look after them. And I wasn't about to let that happen. And, you know, so there's all those challenges within our trust, the Palmerston North Māori Reserve Trust. The majority of trustees are women. We're highly successful. And that has been a wonderful environment to work in. And I think highly successful, if I'm right, I don't remember the exact numbers, but in the sort of last 25 years, you've, in terms of the assets that you've now created or now hold, it's been phenomenally successful. Yes, it has. And I have to say, it's not all down to me, of course, as really previous um, chairman and board members who were very good to work alongside. And some of our older uh, statesmen, I would call them, really laid a very good platform for us. And I learned beside them. And so I was pretty lucky in the quality of those trustees when I first joined. And they really looked after me. And that was pretty fabulous. That's the first time it's really happened, I'd have to say. Um, and, but they were marvellous and set a really strong foundation. And so I was lucky enough to really get handed a really positive trust to work with. And, you know, Liz, it strikes me that, you know, you've always led a pretty busy life, whether it's running your own business, working alongside that, now the governance piece on top of that. How do you maintain some kind of balance between your working life and your broader life? I guess it's down to the fact that I have three amazing daughters and they have managed to produce between them nine wonderful mokopuna who, who are my world, really. And, of course, my husband who looks after me, he's actually the cook in the family. And we both garden. Our, our joy is the garden and a little bit of fishing. You know, I'm not a great fisherman. You know, I love being by the sea. So it is getting some of that balance in having some personal time. But I love working. I'm a bit of a workaholic, I think. Years ago, I actually, I did my master's thesis on workaholism, where the, the sort of the idea behind it, actually, it's not a problem if you love your work. It starts to become a problem if you don't enjoy your work and you're working sort of crazy hours. But if you really love your work, actually, it's, you know, there's no real issue in terms of, say, health outcomes. But I love the way you talked about, you know, the gardening, the fishing, spending time with your mokopuna. I think it's the, all those things I can imagine bring you a lot of balance outside. Oh, heck you. Yes. Yes. You know, and we do have to be joyful. My worry always is to maintain a sense of humour. And if you haven't got a sense of humour, it's a bit tough in this, you know, to survive in this world. I always say to people, if you find me not finding something funny, you know there's something wrong. Mm. And we do have to look for the joy and the fun in things because, you know, it does. that's the thing that I find gives me balance. And I think young kids are, are great for that. I've got young kids myself and having them around, they think, you know, all sorts of random things are hilarious and it does, it just takes the weight off having a laugh over at silly stuff with your kids. Yes, yeah, absolutely it is. 
It's very important. And even being a parent, of course, you can take that very seriously and should do, absolutely should do, every now and again. And I think that's what the kids taught us. You just have to see the funny bit. Mm. Breathe a little bit. Yes, definitely. Breathe a little bit. And we've talked about some of your kind of more challenging times. What, as you look back at your career now, what are some of your proudest career moments? I think probably the proudest thing is the growth in in the Reserves Trust and the fact that we can pay a really good dividend to our owners. And that pleases me. It pleases me when one of our older people ring up and say, my television broke down and I could go out and get myself a new one or, or one Kaumatu rang up and said, I'm going to Australia to see my my mukapuna and this money has paid for that. Thank you so much. Those are the things that really give you pleasure and make you feel it's all worthwhile. It's very simple, really. So that's my career moments, really. That lovely feedback from our people who have had something good happen to them as a result of the work that we've done. Wonderful, wonderful. Where do you see your career now heading in the future? I'm at that age where I'm really looking at retirement, not that I can see me retiring anytime soon. (laughs) But yes, I do think there's a lot that can be done in the community. I think, you know, currently I'm looking at succession, you know, working on succession planning and bringing our young people through and keeping them interested in the work that we're doing and the benefit that we are bringing to our people. And and I just want to husband that through and ensure that landed trusts, the Ahu Whenua Trusts, ready and willing to take on and support young people. There's a troubled old world with climate change and so on, and I want to make sure that as much as we can, you know, start to set in place, we should be. Mm. And it's our lovely young people that are getting so well educated now and, you know, I want to keep them excited in being involved in our world. That sounds like a wonderful legacy to be leaving. Fantastic. And, you know, Liz, you've had a wonderfully full career. I wonder what career advice would you have for other women? I think the main thing is that wonderful positive, you've got to be positive. You really do. And we in a world, I mean, I grew up in a world that was totally male dominated. I did get involved as much as you could in the Wairarapa and always believed in the feminist movement that we can do it, that we should be in positions of power because we are effective and we do think broadly. That we've got the women leading both the major uh, political parties in New Zealand is something for us all to aspire to and that we've got, I look at the, you know, various major national businesses in the country and we've got women leading in many areas actually. And so don't stop and give it a go. Take a calculated risk. Wonderful advice. And I agree with you. If you look at the progress that has been made for women over the last 50 years, I think sometimes if I look, for example, at the number of women on 
privately held boards, it's still pretty low. But actually, if you look at the massive progress we've made over the 50 years, actually it is incredibly positive. And as you say, having you know our third female prime minister in New Zealand and, and a female leader of the opposition, that shows part of the massive change. And I think it's wonderful to see women taking an ever-increasing role in both the public and the private sector. Absolutely. I, I think it's exciting. It's an exciting time mm. to be a woman. And when I look around the world, we, you know, the women leadership in all spheres is just fantastic. And it's, you know, I know there's still a glass ceiling. I know that it's not perfect. But my goodness me, from my time as a young woman to now, it's tremendously good. And I'm saying that really not to say to denigrate our men folk, but it's really to say we are really in a partnership. Lovely way to put it, and I agree. It's not in competition. It's how do you find room for that partnership and for that variety of perspectives and views to be heard so that actually it's representative of, of our nation as a whole. Lovely. Yes, it is. Liz, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing some of your career journey today um, with me. I really appreciated it. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.